vision and graft, a creative's career and mental well-being companion. Hello, welcome to Vision and Graft. I'm Richard William Preisner. This is episode seven, and I'm sorry if I've got a bit of a croaky voice today. It's really, really hot outside, so I think I'm just suffering a little bit from the heat. So what have I been up to recently? Um, Since the last podcast, I've been shooting stills for the photography project that I've mentioned before. I've been working on it for a while and I'm super excited about it. It's all a bit of a secret at the moment, but I'm plugging away at it to get the project to the stage where I can produce a coffee table book. I can't wait for people to see the work and I'll reveal more and more as I progress. So be sure to follow me to find out more. I've also been working on a medium length corporate project with Conor O'Callaghan, who I chatted with back in episode two. And that's been keeping me busy for the last couple of weeks. So for today's guest, I'm really excited to have them on the show. I'd describe him as a prolific creative. He's multi-talented and has his hands in many exciting pies. He's primarily a director, but also a writer, podcast host, actor, comedian, YouTuber, film critic, and influencer. Uh, I'm sure I've missed a few things there. What's remarkable is that whatever he turns his hand to, he excels at. And that's why I'm really chuffed to be chatting to my mate, Jack Howard. We've worked together a few times where Jack has directed and I've been cinematographer and it's always been such a pleasure to catch up with him outside of work and hear all the exciting things that he's getting up to. This conversation is full of information and varied in scope and I didn't want to cut too much out of it. So for the very first time on Vision and Graft, I'm going to be doing a part one of the chat this week and then part two will be in episode eight in a couple of weeks. To start with, Jack tells the story of his career so far and how he started out in the early days of YouTube. We talk about how being persistent and resilient has got Jack to where he is now. Jack shares how important it is for him to embrace collaboration and what he looks for in potential collaborators. We then look at Jack's YouTube video, Sci-Fi and Depression, which I highly recommend watching if you've got the chance to pause the podcast and take a look before listening to our conversation. The link is in the show notes at visiongraph.com if you want to watch it. There are also links to more of Jack's work there. Um, that we referenced in our conversation. And if you're watching beforehand, I'd also recommend checking out the Calva Louise music video, Tiranito, which he's just finished working on. So that's fresh. And we have a chat about that too. Finally, we look at what life lessons Jack has learned during COVID, as well as the biggest hurdle he has faced in his career so far. So that's enough from me. Let's get to it. You and I met, I don't know if you'll remember this, on Who Threw That, the Jack and Dean sketch. Of course I remember. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think, did the first time we meet in person for the recce for that, was that the first time we met in person? Yeah, and it was, was it in a primary school? Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure we'd been talking before that because you, you were recommended to me uh, by Rebecca Hewitt, who's a, a, a mutual friend of ours, because I think you'd shot something for Comedy Central or something. yeah. Yeah, and and I asked. Um, it might have been the BBC Three Kids thing. Right, right, right. And and I was looking for a DP because my the usual DP, who's a very close collaborator of mine called Kieran O'Brien, was busy and being selfish and wouldn't help me. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I needed to find another DP. Yeah, I know, right? Um, and you were warmly recommended, and yeah, I remember that. I'm I'm such a I'm such a big fan of that sketch still as well. I think we did a great job with it. I remember like meeting you and being like this guy's got my kind of like energy level. 
I think what I'm lacking sometimes in communication in terms of what I want, it's like enthusiasm just for the thing. Like we're going to be, we're going to be making something and that's exciting. That's kind of my whole vibe. So it drags me along with it though too. You know, like that's what I, I sort of need it, when I'm being introduced to someone else's project. I need someone to excite me. Yeah, I think that's part of what directing is is just sort of getting people on board with like this is going to be great and i mean the day i don't mean the thing itself but also like we're going to be making this cool thing we're going to be doing this camera movement or we're going to be having this person in it or whatever it might be like for me like that sketch part of one of the most fun things for me why i wanted to do it was i really wanted to do the gag where um you get a, a dummy that's clearly a dummy throw it at something have it fall out of frame and then have a real person stand up in its place like that for me was like one of the massive reasons i wanted to do that sketch and yeah. and then i'm so glad we got and i remember the day of like counting in like doing that it was just super fun and and i think that as you if you can get across the excitement of that sort of stuff to other people who are going to be making it with you you're just gonna have a better time. I just remember smoking out that classroom and then yeah. going on a really, um, really wide shutter angle just to create a slight sort of Saving Private Ryan esque <laughs> war vibe. Especially after we'd spent the day doing this very like um, high key comedy, like very sleek and shiny type of like comedy sketch, and then all of a sudden just delving into saving private ryan war language it was i mean that's how we finished the day it was so fucking weird yeah it's always best to finish the day smoking somewhere out just in case you get the fire brigade to come because i did one smoke out a high school science corridor and the fire brigade turned up like literally a minute later i've never seen a fire brigade response as fast as that we were shooting the first series of a show that we made called jack and dean of all trades where we had to smoke something out and they told us we could do it and the fire alarm went off and we didn't know how to turn it off. But luckily it was a musical. So that when I, every time I watch that episode and see that musical number, I know that the fire alarm was like going off the entire time that they were doing it. And I can't believe that it looks as natural as it does. Oh, that's horrendous. I know it, it was. I believe you're one of the most prolific creatives that I know. And you describe yourself as a director, writer and podcast host, but I see you also do more than that. You're an actor, comedian, presenter, YouTuber, film critic, influencer. Don't know if you'd be willing to accept that title. I'll accept all of them. I think that however people want to describe me is fine with me. <laughs> I just, I'm just, yeah, I guess I'm just doing my thing and it kind of bleeds between all these different titles. How did it all begin and what's the journey been like so far? It began with my friend. This is the, the thing I always remember. I was very good friends with two other guys in school, Jack and Jamie. So it was Jack, Jack and Jamie. And that's, that's the, that was my, my group of friends from literally like being six years old up until leaving for university. We spent all of our time together. And during our teen years, when I was about 15 years old, Jamie started doing video editing stuff with just Windows Movie Maker and I had no idea what this was. And he showed me some um, fan edit he'd done of a Gears of War trailer where he'd replaced the audio with the song, what's that coming over the hill? Is it a monster? And, I, and he showed it to me. And I remember just being like, well, hang on, what have you done? And he was like, well, I've changed the audio for that. It, was, it wasn't that to begin with. And I've changed a few of the shots. And I was like, what do you mean? What, 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 does, what is this magic, this sorcery that you're telling me that you've done? And then he showed me it and he was like, you've got this on your laptop as well. 
And sure enough, I found it. And that was the beginning of the end. And I just started making fan trailers for Spider-Man. And I love and hate saying this. My fan trailer for Spider-Man 3, which was taking the animated um, 90s show, if you remember that, and I and I took that image and I put the the audio for the Spider-Man 3 trailer underneath it. So I created basically an animated version of the Spider-Man 3 trailer using the cartoon, but using like Tobey Maguire's voice and whatever. That fan trailer has still got more views than anything else I've ever put on the internet. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It's got like four and a half million views or something like that. That's mental, man. I know. I know. So that was it. It was like just a gateway into video editing. Then I was already interested in films to begin with, but that just grew and grew and grew. And my friend Dean, who I'm in a comedy duo with, we were in school together. We ended up just sort of bonding. We were trying to make a short film together. It never happened. And then we decided, why are we trying to make something long? Why don't we make a bunch of these scenes that we've been able to complete? Why don't we do that and make sketches together? And it just sort of snowballed. And the whole thing feels like a happy accident. I feel like it, a lot of it is luck as well. Like I happened to be the first generation who had YouTube. I didn't know, at the time, I didn't know it was brand new. It just felt like something that existed and was available to me. And so I was just playing. And then by the time I was at uni... I had like 8,000 subscribers on Jack and Dean or something like that. And it felt like this very exciting um, new potential. For, and then I think in that same year was the first year we got invited to go to America to go to one of the first um, YouTube like events, like a VidCon. It wasn't VidCon, it was called Playlist Live. Just one of those ones. Um, and that felt very legitimizing as well. Like It was just like, oh, some, something's happening here and people cared. And it just kept going. And, and, you know, one thing leads to another constantly. And I still feel like that's what's going on. And what's funny now is that working with Mark Kermode on his podcast is that started because his son was a fan of my YouTube stuff. You know, it's like all of it feels like it's all led to, to where I am now. I can sort of track it all back on a map. Your story highlights persistence being key in it. If you're persistent, your path will show itself before you. It's inspiring for me. My very, very good friend who's called um, Tim Houtke, who's a fellow filmmaker and do- has done YouTube stuff as well. We always say that it's about just, I can't remember the word is, the word is escaping me right now, but maybe you'll know it when I describe what I mean. It's that you just need to stay in people's faces. You need to, you just need to stay there. Like you just need to hold your ground and just be like, I'm still here. So that when people keep looking over their shoulder, I mean, the people in charge, the money people, they notice that a few people have fell behind or quit or stop doing it and if you're still there (laughs) fighting and keeping up then you're more likely to get hired for things just because you're still there that's maybe that's maybe that's still the same as persistence yeah yeah and resilience mixed together i suppose resilience is a good word yeah this industry sort of wades out the weak and that's a really really harsh way of putting it but it like if you can't hack (laughs) or if you, you know there's other things that come up with it as well i don't want to say that the only reason you can't make it in this industry is because you can't hack it but or you're too weak to or whatever there's obviously other factors i just mean that like if you have the endurance for it you can you know what i mean and i've just got the mentality that i'm, I'm not going to do anything else this is this is it for me there's no backup plan 
I've seen interviews with older DPs and when they're asked about their career and kind of how they've got to that point. And it's just a lot of them say, it's just because I stuck at it. Like, it's just because I'm, I'm still here and a lot of people aren't. Mm. Like you say, it's, it is a, it's a bit of a survival of the fittest situation. Um, whether, whether, whether we like it or not. Mm, yeah, it's, it's a shame. And, and on the same, uh, I mean, I mentioned Donald Glover earlier, but I even saw an interview with him where he gets asked similar questions to me, which I find baffling where somebody's like, what do you use? What, what, what software do you use? What mic, what, what camera do you use for this? And he's like, I don't know, man, like use what you've got. Like I just do it cause I want to do it. And if you don't do it, you clearly don't want it as much as I do. And that, and I saw that and I resonated with that. I was like, it's just cause I want to, and I'll find any way to do it. Cause I just want to. I could do a whole podcast on this, but the gear is just not important. Yeah. Did like Van Gogh obsess about his paintbrush? I mean, he, he obsessed about what he was painting. Yeah, sure. The culture <laughs> of that for me is yep. so frustrating. You know, like about having the latest camera or the latest whatever and thinking that that's the key to being successful as a creative. It's like, just because I've got the most expensive paintbrush, it's completely irrelevant if you can't paint. Yeah, it it doesn't it doesn't improve your storytelling abilities, but to have a crisper image, you know, it, it, that sort of creative instinct, not at all. And and I've shot on so many different cameras over the years with several different DPs, and never has anybody ever said to me, "Oh, that one looks better than that one because of the camera." You know, what I mean, that's never ever come up. For me as well, it's kind of like, would I rather work with a director who's got an amazing script that's blowing my mind? And shoot it on a 5D Mark II. Mm-hmm. I would have rather worked with a director that's not got an amazing script. Hasn't I don't agree with their vision. I don't think it's going to be great, but have an incredible camera setup. So like I would pick the 5D anytime. If it's the right camera for the job, you know, which sometimes a 5D Mark II could be the right camera for the job. If we're just talking specifically about cinematography as an example, good cinematography doesn't necessarily mean you know, Roger Deakins doing 1917 unbroken takes and, you know, that, although it is incredible cinematography, sometimes good cinematography is just servicing the best because that cinematography, and he knows this, but that cinematography for 1917 wouldn't service another one of his films, Fargo, which is the same DP, but completely different films and completely different styles. Good cinematography is servicing whatever the story needs from it and whatever whatever you're doing with that. And I think that that's what a lot of young creatives don't understand. They 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 think about the aesthetics and the technical capabilities before they think about what is it you're doing with that, though. Using Roger Deakins as you have as an example is great because for camera and lens choices, he tends to pick the same package of um, Alexa and Master Primes. And it's like that across the board. A lot of people would argue whether that's the right way to go about things, whether he should be changing lenses on the job to fit whatever he's shooting um i'm personally more inclined to go with his way of doing things because i'm more interested in what i'm shooting and lighting that and being involved in that than i am about getting too obsessive about cameras and lenses you know i know of dps that will have like a you know like several lens sets on one commercial and several lens sets on one feature and if i'm getting obsessed with all these shiny objects i don't feel like i'm focusing on the content in the right way yeah yeah and it's not wrong to be excited about the new toy of course but like it, it's it's when you're actually doing the thing and making the thing it's like how is this 
how is this bringing what we're doing to life? How is this servicing the greater thing? Because that's only one aspect of it. Because if you've got, for example, a beautiful camera, but your gaffer doesn't know how to light, then that's not going to matter. You might as well be shooting it on a 5D with a nice with a gaffer who knows how to light. And, and otherwise everything goes out the window. Do you know what I mean? And that's that comes onto another thing, which is collaboration. That's something as I'm going on that I'm really embracing. I'm the sort of filmmaker who wants to ask the room, is this the best version of the idea? Or is anybody hearing what I'm saying and going, mm, that's not quite right? Because I love to be told a better idea. I, I think that if if we're all making it, I don't want it to just be like, we're servicing what Jack's saying. I would rather be having a big conversation with everybody who's involved. To kind of bring it up to a collective point of glory, essentially. Yeah, 100%. I want, especially on the low budget stuff where everybody's like taking pay cuts or maybe even not getting paid at all. I want to make sure that they feel like they're creatively involved with what they're doing rather than just point and shoot that. You know, I, I want to make sure that everyone's got a say. What are you looking for in those creative collaborators? Like, what is there something specific that you're looking for before you begin a job in a collaborate or begin a collaboration, even that you, you're you're trying to find? Not necessarily something that I'm trying to find, but something I'm noticing that I really enjoy is being able to talk about the idea that we're doing almost in the abstract, rather than talking specifically about like, we'll do that shot and then that will pan here and we'll cut there. But specifically talking about like, what is it? What is it? Like the, the, using the Calvo Louise video as an example, I tend to develop ideas kind of slowly and they kind of develop over time even after we're crewing it up and we're choosing the location i think my instinct tells me more than i know initially if that makes sense so like I'm, i picked an abandoned hotel for that music video and i wanted most of it to take place on a staircase and i didn't know why but there was something telling me that I, that's what i wanted and i liked that it was like in between the levels i liked that it wasn't a place it felt like you know stairs are the what you use to get from one place to another so it felt like somebody was in between rather than actually settled somewhere and so the more and more it went on me and edgar dabrowski who shot it we spoke about the rules that we'd create for that space that she wasn't allowed to go in any of the rooms she could look in the doorways and 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 that discussion got me further on to okay so this hotel is clearly a metaphor for her mental well-being and she's not going into that room that's this this and the basement you know metaphorically is used over and over again as the the place in your uh, brain that is difficult to visit like the you know, the bowels of, of your mental health like going down there to see what you'll find and i that all developed from having conversations about the topic rather than about what it is that you know, we're specifically specifically going to be shooting. So to answer your question, I think I really like just having sort of just general arty farty chats. I really like being kind of a little bit, it, it, it might even sound a bit um, pretentious to some people, but I really enjoy it. And I think it really nourishes the idea when I feel like I know what it is that we're trying to get across. By the sounds of it, it's just having someone that you can, involve in the themes of the, of the piece as a whole and not just talk about the nuts and bolts of how it's going to be made because as well like by doing that i suppose you give people the 
the opportunity for them to excel and be creative as opposed to kind of like you say dictating we're going to shoot like this it's going to we're going to put the camera there it's going to be on a 50 millimeter that's what the frame's going to be you know you could go about it by doing that but instead by describing to a dp this is how i want it to feel this is how you know the mood this is how the character's feeling this is what the location and how the location's playing as a character etc etc i suppose by doing that you really enabling them to be creative themselves and, and like give them that spark and maybe surprise you with something that you didn't expect. Exactly. And I, and I think that, especially with music videos, depending on how literal the artist wants them to be, but with this, they wanted a cool performance video. So I wanted to think to code the images with meaning rather than specifically telling a story. Um, and I think talking about all that stuff thematically with a DP was really, really helpful because then we both knew the entire time, like we were coding it just naturally, instinctively. We were sort of setting things up and creating situations, both of us knowing what the goal was. And we didn't need it to be literally um, represented on camera. We could, we understood and we trusted that we knew what the goal was. And so by following that, it would hopefully come across to somebody and and you emailed me saying that the repeated the motif of the shot of it going down that spiral staircase to find her there gave you a sense of deja vu and i love that you said that deja vu isn't the term that i would have used but it certainly applies i wanted it to feel like this repetition of something that she wasn't addressing like she was stuck in this place because she was not allowing herself to progress. And then by the end of the video, when she does go into that red room and down the stairs, she discovers something positive, ultimately, like something that she's been scared to embrace, but kind of what you were talking about before, like, like, like wanting to embrace who you are and just be yourself and be like, oh, fuck it, this is who I am. That was kind of the conclusion to that music video, like her rocking out in that guitar solo was like, oh, it's a positive thing. And then by the end, we see that shot again on the staircase and she's gone. And that was just me coding. She has now progressed. She gets to leave this place now. I, mean, I really did like that music video. It's great. I mean, it's I like that you you kind of exploring these themes regarding mental health as well within it. I can't help it. It just happens. I watched the video you did last year about sci-fi and depression. And I, I really, I loved, I loved that. I mean, I've not actually seen Solaris, which may sound like a crime to you, um, but <laughs> um, I need to watch that film. No, no, I've, I've only seen it. I've only seen it uh, where well, I only watched it properly once. And then obviously I've seen lots of it because I was creating that video. And so I was exploring it and studying it, but I've only watched it end to end one time. It's on Disney Plus. I'd recommend, I, I think it's, and it's only 90 minutes as well. So I'd really recommend giving it a go, even if it's not your cup of tea, I think it will it will touch something in you, especially because, as you said, you seem to um, have a connection uh, to mental health and things like that. And I, that's what I pulled out of it. Yeah, it's been on my list for quite a while and I've, I've just not got around to watch it. Um, but I, I watched I watched the Sci-Fi and Depression video last year and then I've rewatched it um, today. Um, and I remember last year it like resonated strongly with me because of my own experiences and the themes of the podcast as well. And... I was kind of wondering what compelled you to make such a personal video, especially at that time, because it was sort of in the midst of COVID, I believe, like the first lockdown. I, yeah, I was in a really bad place at the start of last year before the pandemic. I was just in a really, really low place and every day was a little bit of a struggle. And I was trying to find 
outlets that were healthy for me to sort of get to know myself again, to be honest. And watching Solaris, me and my friend Rosiana, who wrote that video with me, we both bonded over it for the same reasons of it, of it, of the mental health um, aspects of all the themes in that came to the surface really easy for us. And I think you could bring something entirely different to Solaris. Like, you know, one could bring something totally different to Solaris and not see any of the mental health stuff. I think it's, it's abstract enough that you can, you can project whatever you want onto it. Um, and so it felt like a really healthy way of exploring it. And it was like, I'd had that experience going to a doctor because I felt desperate, to be honest. I wanted to go to a doctor and be like, can you tell me, can you diagnose me with depression? Because it feels like I'm crazy and I'm waking up every day and telling myself this is depression, but no one's actively t- you know, diagnosed me professionally, medically. And she was kind of dismissive and trying to kind of make light of it and things like that. And I was just like, I want, I want to talk about that experience as well. It, it just felt like, and even, even in that, that sci-fi and depression thing, I, I wanted that video to feel almost like its own piece. So at first you think it's like some guy talking about this movie. And then all of a sudden I stopped the editing for a second and just let me talk. But I definitely saw it as a performance of its own as well. Like I wanted the thing itself to be, I don't know, like a piece of work rather than it feeling like Jack's just making a video. It it was very heavily scripted and very heavily planned. I don't know. Like I, I, that was, that was, it just felt like I couldn't think about anything else until I did it. It just, it was something that I'd picked up. Uh, a lot across uh, uh, different movies, but that one specifically was one where I was like, I, I want to talk about this and I want to relate it to films. And it felt like I could explore it safely by making it like, oh, it's just me talking about movies. But no, it's not. It's me talking about this huge thing that I'm dealing with. It really intrigues me that um, at, the, at that time where you're having a, a, a difficult moment, trying to discover yourself and, and rediscover yourself, that you turn to art in which to do it. When I first started having problems with depression, I found that I was I was searching for art to connect with in that way, specifically paintings quite often, to kind of find a way to articulate how I was feeling. It's like a more, um, it's like when breakup songs make sense to you after you've, after you've actually, when you know when you're actually in a breakup like all of a sudden like those songs make sense to you but what you're talking about i had a very similar experience it's it's like it's a more specific and less um popular kind of uh thing to be able to discover or or more intricate or more specific or you know it's easy to find art that reflects how a breakup feels but it's maybe a more specific thing to find art that reflects how depression feels like that that's maybe more specific to each individual person on the, on the topic of lockdown and and covid and um you know and, and the situation <laughs> as i call it capital t capital s yeah the situation <laughs> um 
you know, I started Vision and Graph during the third lockdown and um, COVID sort of forced me to, or the situation has forced me to look inwardly. Do you feel that there's anything that you've learned about yourself or taken away from the experience of the last year that you'll kind of carry on throughout your life? Yeah. Um, I, I usually would try and take a moment to sort of um, think about my answer to this, but there's something very immediate that comes up is that before the situation, I was darting about from place to place like a blue ass fly. I was like, just, I was filling my calendar up with things and I would just like jump from, from one meeting to another, to a, to a different place in London, come back, sleep, eat just for fuel and wouldn't really be taking very good care of myself or giving myself time to, um, look after what I was doing or take time for those, you know, take time out to have a meal or to make sure that I'm well rested or, or taking some time in the morning to get myself in, in a, basically what I'm saying is that I've learned to slow things down a bit and I, and I want to carry that on even when things open up properly and forever, fingers crossed. I don't want to go back to filling my calendar with things. I really want to keep this sort of slower pace i think london did it to me to be honest and encourages it and i'm enjoying this sort of pace a lot more and i'm still busy and i'm still you know filling my days with things but it feels like i'm more consistently focused on something rather than i don't know like filling time yeah, I mean, that's, I think that's a great thing to take away. I, I mean, I'm speaking to quite a few of my friends who are almost, um, they're a little bit concerned about the idea of society reopening fully for the reason that they might feel pressure to go back to that way of like all guns blazing, everything has to be constantly busy, you know, like because of outside pressure to, to feel like you have to do it. Or even if you're being asked, like, can you do this thing? And you're, think, you're thinking, I don't really want to have to fit that in. And it's not because I don't want to do it. It's just because I don't think it would be very good for me. That's a difficult thing to, how do you express that to somebody else without them, without you feeling, I'd be concerned that I'd feel judged for it or that somebody wouldn't understand me. Or, you know, if I just were like, oh, I don't think I can do that. I don't think it would be very good for me. I can imagine someone would be like, why? You know, the last year has made it a lot easier personally to, to be able to say no. I mean, I got offered a job the other the other day that um, that I turned down because I knew it wasn't right for me. And in the past, I would have I would have stressed out so much about it because oh, it's money and thinking about where I want to go and what I want to do in future. Saying no at the moment where I knew I should say no and doing it felt so good. Yeah, I had a a similar experience to that very very recently. A couple of weeks ago, I was offered something that I imagined telling my mom I'd turned it down and her being like you what? And, and I was like, it just wasn't, it's just not right for me. And I don't think I need to do it right now. And I think it would just, I can imagine the next few weeks of my life being worse for taking on this job. And I don't think it's worth the outcome. And so it feels like we've had a very similar, um, realization. If it doesn't connect with my heart, like, or I get that that slight doubt on an email at the beginning. I used to be like, I'll push through. I'll just do the job. But now I'm like, I just know I shouldn't do this. Yeah, but I think it's because you've had the experiences now where you have pushed through and it hasn't been fulfilling and, and the money wasn't enough or maybe there wasn't any money to begin with, but you thought I should do this I should because it's work and I should get the experience or whatever. You've had those experiences now 
same as me. And I just know I don't need that. It's not, it's not going to be valuable. It's not going to serve me to use a therapy term. I'm in the process of steering my career path in a slightly different direction at the moment. And it's like, you've got to really keep your eye on the ball when you're trying to do that, because it's very easy to be getting dragged in the opposite direction. And you don't have infinite time. You know, we're not getting any younger, are we? <laughs> 30s approaching now. Well, I'm in my 30s, mate, and it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's really hard. What would you say has been the biggest hurdle in your career so far and what did you do to manage it? Do you know what? There's light and shade to everything. And I think that although I've been offered this career path because of my career on YouTube, it's offered me so much opportunity that I'm so incredibly grateful for. But I also think that being known as a YouTuber or as you said earlier, an influencer, that as well is kind of a hurdle and maybe this is kind of a non-answer because it's not like oh this thing happened and I had to dodge it this is more like a sort of broad thing that I've I kind of feel is that being seen in that space I think has been limiting for me and I think what I've done in the past year or so is is decided to take charge and say no this is what I want to do and so I'm going to like spearhead in that direction and make things like music videos and if I can, things like commercials and smaller things like comedy sketches and stuff that I would make on YouTube, but for other people serving what I think is my best skill, which is making the thing rather than I don't, I say I'm a reluctant writer because I think that there are way better people at script writing than I am. And I also don't really particularly enjoy sitting and doing that. But if you give me something to create, I think I can make one of the best versions of it in my, that's kind of how I feel about it. I can adapt that really well. And so I, I sort of changed direction and focused much more on putting my time into music videos and things like that to showcase, look, I can do this as well. So for you, you the biggest hurdle has sort of been being sort of typecast as in, in the role of a YouTuber. I used to work for Radio 1 for a while and what an amazing opportunity. We just walked into Radio 1 and became radio presenters like it was fucking nothing. Like what an amazing opportunity. And I chose to leave. Like I I had a conversation with some of the bosses there about the, the future of what me and Dean could be doing there. And I really wanted to sort of go, is there a way that we can use our script writing or or... or could we make comedy shorts for Radio 1? Is there a space for us to be able to do something like that? And I remember specifically, they just kept saying, and it felt like they were repeating it a lot, but maybe this is just my my memory of it. But they were just like, keep making the show, keep making the show. It was like they were going, just trust us, trust this process, keep making your show and it will lead to good things. And I was like, no, I don't want this. I don't want to be groomed into becoming a radio presenter. It's not what I want. It's never what I've wanted. And... Thanks for the opportunity, but see you later. And I think that like, still confuses my dad <laughs> as to why I left BBC Radio 1. <laughs> oh, Batman. You know what's best for you as well. And I think, you know, look, you wouldn't have been able to go on to do what you're doing now if you'd carried on on that, that journey. And you're protecting yourself and you could have found yourself in a position later down the line where you really weren't happy, but you were sort of trapped within it. 
the money trap comes along with those sort of decisions and those sort of um, big opportunities. If you're going in the wrong direction, you can find yourself trapped because of your lifestyle, you know, and, and the things that come with it. Yeah, the further and further you get into the BBC and the, and, and the more people know you as a BBC Radio 1 presenter, then it's going to be BBC Radio 1 presenter tries to be a filmmaker when I wanted to be like, no, that's it's not what I want. And I need to leave now before it gets, <laughs> before that title gets too bold, italic, underlined. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of wisdom at the age that you may, decided to do that as well. Wisdom or stupidity, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it seems like you made the right move from where I'm sitting. I feel that way. Just to be clear, I do feel that way. I feel like that was the right call. And I, I'm, I'm, I am happy that past me did that because, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I feel like I'm on a good path right now. Uh, that's good to hear, Mom. If you could go back to when you first started your career and give yourself some advice about how to approach the most difficult challenges that you'll face along the way, what would that advice be? I would tell myself to let go of control a little bit. And I still am a bit of a control freak and I think I know the right way of doing something and I have not only the best creative idea but also the most efficient way of doing it and whatever. Like I just feel like I that's like an instinct that I have. But I think I should let go of control a little bit and see what happens when you don't get the say or if somebody doesn't do it the way you're expecting them to. I think that that's also important to the creative process because otherwise you just, you know, you, you're playing chess and that's not always the best way of sort of getting the best creative um, conclusion to something if you're deciding what everyone's movements are and how they're going to deliver a line or whatever it would be you're not allowing creativity to sort of kind of i don't know breathe i can definitely associate with that feeling of watching other people do things and be like this is not the most efficient way to do this why are we doing it this way yeah and yeah, it, yeah yeah it's so hard to let that go it fucking it's, does head in. it's yeah. so hard um but it's difficult in the context of being on set because you're often in a rush aren't you so if you can see things not being done efficiently or in the way that there's a better way to do it it's really hard not to get involved because you know that if you lose some time on one thing that how it's going to affect time on another thing so you just kind of like you want to jump in and be like no do it like this do it like this like just quick we're running out of time and sometimes that that has been the role but i think the way that i've even communicated it has not been ideal like there's, there's lots of lessons that i've learned even very recently that i've been like okay definitely overstepped my 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 mark there well it's 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 good that you are like continually reflecting in that way and like wanting to grow and not being sort of complacent in your own in your position it's it, it bodes well for the future from where i'm sitting that you know that this, that's how you can continually grow and grow and be the legendary director that i'm sure you you will become <laughs> <laughs> now i've got you locked into um a podcast with me i can play it to my grandkids They're like this was the time where <laughs> i spoke to jack howard who's that <laughs> he used to be a youtuber <laughs> oh he's like oh granddad's got the laptop out again <laughs> <laughs> granddad's going on about influencers again <laughs> whatever they were
So that's it. That's the end of part one. I can't wait to share the second part with you, which will come up in episode eight in a couple of weeks. If you liked today's episode, then please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And please do share it with your friends and colleagues, especially aspiring filmmakers or directors who could benefit from hearing Jack's story and his journey so far. If you could share any of my posts on social media, such as reposting to your Instagram stories, you'll be helping to grow the podcast and be part of my mission to help creatives. And for that, I will be endlessly grateful. If you have a few seconds to spare after listening, please do leave me a review on Apple Podcasts. That also really helps to get the word out. You can get in touch and follow me on Instagram and Twitter at VisionGraft or at VisionGraft.com, where you'll also find show notes for this episode and past episodes, which I recommend you go back to listen to as it's full of great content. My last guest, Alexia Kombu, is a voiceover artist and she shared so much great business advice and wisdom. It really helped me, so I highly recommend going back to have a listen. I'm now going to run out the door to head to Torquay to see some mates that I've not seen for the past year. I'm noticing now more than ever that taking time away to have a breather is making me much more efficient and productive and just downright better at my job when I come back to work. So I now see time off not only as an investment in me and my mental well-being, but also as an investment in my business as it's increasing my output. Thank you for listening to Vision & Graft, a creative's career and mental well-being companion. If talking's secure, then creativity's a recovery. Take care. Find us online at visiongraft.com or on Instagram and Twitter at visiongraft.